Hi, James. Ben, how are you? I I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay. It's I am back in Taiwan, which I'm very happy to be. I did a longer trip than I usually do. Usually, I do the like in on Monday, out on Thursday, which sounds terrible, but it's actually better because I stay on a Taiwan time zone. Whereas this was was a oh, like eight or nine days, and it was man, it was rough. I <laughs> I I actually got on the plane yesterday, and I, I slept for like ten hours straight. Which a it's on a plane, and b I never sleep for ten hours straight. So I was I was I was pretty exhausted. So I am always impressed by your ability to land in a in a locale and stay on the uh, the time zone of origin for just like three days and get out. Like I I'm in, I'm massively impressed by that, but only surpassed by your ability apparently to sleep ten hours on a bumpy flight over the Pacific Ocean. That's no mean feat. Well, the truth is, I just don't sleep. But three days is like a tolerable tolerable amount of time to not sleep uh. that much. But once it extends out longer than a week, then 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 it gets rough. But I am so needless to say, I'm glad to be back. It is good to be on on the home microphone. I apologize for skipping last week, uh, which was also due to plane and travel problems. But regardless, it is is good to be back, and it's good to be talking to you. It's good to have you back. Our thanks to MailChimp for sponsoring Exponent, as they do every week. MailChimp's been around since 2001. The company started as a side project, and now it's the world's leading email marketing platform, sending more than a billion emails a day, including those of Shashakri. MailChimp has democratized technology for small businesses, creating innovative products that empower our, their customers to grow. And our thanks to them for sponsoring other small businesses like Exponent. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks, guys. So you may have you may have heard there is a uh, little, little little company that had a had a few announcements this week. Do you know of whom I'm speaking? Is it, do they sell fruit? <laughs> One might think so. Anyhow, Apple's WWC keynote this week, and uh, did you get a chance to watch it by chance? I did. I missed the opening part, which I was a little annoyed at myself for doing that, actually, because um, you get a whole bunch of context at the start. Like, this is their opportunity to set up the narrative. But I there had been this much teasing of interesting new things that might be emerging um, at this keynote that for the first time in quite a while, and I used to watch these things all the time. Like when I was in Australia, I'd get up at 3 a.m. to see what Apple was doing. And I haven't tuned in that much recently, but this one I watched and it, I, I enjoyed it. It was it was some cool stuff. You actually didn't miss much, which was which was interesting. I agree with you. I love the like the first five to ten minutes are are in my mind often the most interesting for that exact reason. It's like what are what is the framing that they are choosing to put around this? And I think you know there have been some really fascinating framings that have been done by Apple and by others, but this one was almost more like the Google one we talked about a few weeks ago, like where mm. Google like Sundar Pichai came out and be and is like Google is about organizing the world's information and the way we organize information now is machine learning, artificial intelligence. So let's go and like that. That, that was it. And then everything was sort of building on that theme, which I thought was great. Like it, it, if anything, sort of one of Google's, I think, problems, not recently, but, but in the, 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 the relatively recent past was getting distracted, getting away from what they mm. sort of do best. And this was a situation where it's like, no, this is what we do and we're going to do it. And, and I think you could say there was sort of a similar sort of dynamic with, with apples. And in, even though the, the introduction here was even briefer, it was like, two, it was like a couple sentences, like, Oh, things are going great. We watched to announce. Let's go. And then they went. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I almost feel like the lack of context is basically all the context that you need. It, this is, we are business as usual. And I, I guess it, it speaks to a broader point, right? There are many different kinds of, the, many different types of forward progress. There is the revolutionary, like something coming completely out of left field that changes the way people think about the world, like the iPhone. And uh, when people don't have a place to put a product like that in their mind, it becomes that much more important to get that narrative right. And what they did incredibly well with the iPhone and we would say didn't do such a good job of with the watch, right? Like that narrative is so critical. But there's another type of forward progress too, which is the the constant grinding and you have you have your re- revolutionary products already introduced and there is a process of just improving relentlessly and getting better and getting better and it's not as sexy but it is just as valuable that like, you think about how far iOS and the iPhone has come between the uh, the early iterations and now and it it wasn't any massive leap at any one point in time it's just the consistent working away at improving things every time and that's kind of what they were doing with this keynote 
Yeah, I agree. And I, I certainly agree on the value of that. And, you know, if you're, if you're having to make a dramatic sort of shift, I mean, there's it, sometimes you, you gave the positive examples where like you're going to introduce a groundbreaking product, the iPhone mm. and yes, setting context is really important. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's a situation where like with Microsoft this year, like the first 30 minutes of like the Microsoft keynote at their developer conference was yeah. absolutely gripping and fascinating. Like one of the more compelling sort of keynotes that I've seen in a while. But the reason it was gripping and compelling was that they were having to spin a narrative that, that, what kind of differed from the facts on the ground about this mm. new this new future where computing is a combination of being on the edge and in the cloud and Microsoft's a sort of like meta provider where developers can build to and deploy all these places, which sounds good in theory. But the reason that theory exists is because it has to deal with the reality where Microsoft doesn't is owns fewer and fewer points on the edge, right? So in that in that sense, like wow, this is very compelling, very very it's fascinating. But that's coming from a different place, you know, where in this case, Apple is what it is. It has the iPhone, which is this dominant platform. It has, you know, their their other lines, which I'm sure we'll get into, the Mac and the iPad and whatnot. Mm. And in this case, it, it, I would just add to it, not only were they just iterating, but what made this this keynote feel very different, and I actually wasn't quite sure how to articulate how I felt about it, was because it had hardware. And mm. people people love hardware. yeah. It is. I, I mean, I, I, I have a confession. I think the the lure of all this new hardware is probably what um, got me to tune in. Whereas a number of times in the past, I haven't. Um, uh, like the new, the new iMac Pro, the home, the HomePod, all these things. Like it's super cool, but. I don't think it's where Apple derives its sustainable advantage from in the long run. Like the software is so much more important. It's almost like the hardware is the sugar that gets you all excited and tastes really good. But the protein is is the iOS and macOS. Like that's where the sustainable differentiation comes from. That That's true. But, but I, I, in some respects, it, it was almost appropriate. And I think gave a useful way to think about Apple and their moves by having both. Because... Apple mm. is yes, it's true. It is software that provides differentiation. It's the core to what you know makes Apple a valuable entity. But if from a business model perspective, the way that they actually make money off of that software is by pairing it with hardware, which they sell, yeah. which they sell at a large margin, right? And in in this case, it's almost like the fact that they were introducing both, like mm. there's probably ulterior factors for it, including sort of reassuring developers after a bit of skittishness that we really yeah. do care about this sort of stuff. And, mm-hmm. and, but at the same time, it was almost, it's almost appropriate because that's what Apple is. They are the combination of hardware and software, which is important from this sort of integration perspectives that we've yes. talked about before, but it's important from a business model perspective. They sell stuff for a lot of money and people pay it because they get, you know, Apple's, Apple software with it. And and so yes, it's easy to be excited about hardware, but that also kind of that that's the most fruitful way to look at Apple anyway. Fruitful. Nice. Sorry. <laughs> but I mean in in that sense it's you're right. It's you're spot on. It's that integration of hardware and software and that's what was so compelling about the keynote. I think it was for me anyway, it was both. Now it's not that there weren't problems, but there's actually a, a broader point that I want to bring up, um, and it relates to that progress point that we were talking about earlier. One of my good friends, very smart guy, was recently complaining about, you know, I watched this Apple keynote, and this is the leading technological, like the leading technology or the biggest technology company in the world. And, you know, it, it was where, what are they doing? Like, this is, this is nothing. This is not valuable. Why aren't we doing clean energy? Why aren't they spending all this money on flying cars or extra, extraterrestrial travel? And it, it kind of frustrated me a little bit because there is a broader point around this relentless march of progress that's so important. And it has become such a regular part of our lives, the notion that we have this thing in our pocket that digitizes our presence and all the things that it unlocks for us to do, that it's it's so easy to miss what it, how great that changes and how much of it we take for granted. 
And everything from like being able to summon transportation in a couple of minutes to being able to have a map of any city in the world to being able to communicate with anyone around the world in an instant, all these things that, and that's, that's just three apps. That's not even uh, one row of apps on one of these devices now. And all this stuff that's been unlocked as a result of this. And it's, it reminds me of the, um, the line from the commencement speech by David Foster Wallace, where the, the two fish are swimming along the two young fish and they come up to the old fish and the old fish goes to them. Oh, hey, boys, how's the water? And they're like, Mur? and they keep swimming. And then the one young fish turns to the other fish and he's like, what the hell is water? And it, it feels like that the, the extent to which this relentless march and it may, it might not seem that any one of these steps or any keynote like this is this massive big advance, but the extent to which it has completely transformed our lives is, is enormous. And it also completely undervalues like that, that grinding that happens inside of these companies that's so important. It's a really great point. And yeah, I mean, the, the truth is <laughs> we're all so eager to, like, oh, yeah, Apple introduced a smartphone. What have you done for me lately? And, you know, it's been 10 years. And, and it has been 10 years. But, it, you know, the, the impact is of that device is such that we're, we're only still, I think, you know, scratching the surface of, of, of how mm. it you sort of impacts people. And, and w- this first period has been a lot of going through the let's port everything from PCs to, to phones, which is always yeah. sort of the first stage of a new mm. – of a new paradigm, and now we're much more into the oh, what are the unique things that are uniquely enabled by having an always connected device in our pockets all the time, right? You know, and and that goes to things like like transportation, like hospitality, like uh, payments, like and w- which we all view them from the sort of rich world context, but have even more dramatic sort of impacts on on emerging markets, and and pe- just basically it impacts everyone. It impacts everyone all over the world, and I think it's a really good point. It's something that's 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 helpful to keep in mind. And frankly, you know, to expect I, I share your frustration in that to expect any one company to routinely create new things is i think a misunderstanding of where new things come from and the 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 importance of motivations and and business models all those sorts of things that go into coming up with with new breakthroughs the reality is is probably the best possible thing for new innovations is for apple to keep the iphone and and ipad whatever it might be on this sort of pace of progress so that new things can be built on top of it mm. and uh, you know i think uh i i know i'm <laughs> we're, we'll talk about the, the developer angle in a little bit but mm. by and large i do think you're exactly right it's, it's something that's really useful to keep in mind there's i mean there's you talked about uh business models and culture and i think those points are spot on but there's one other element to it as well which is timing and it's you, you can introduce te- technology, even if they had the ability to, you bring it in too early, it's underbaked, it sets everything back. Like you have to wait until the timing is right, like the complementary technologies. So much of what was contained in the iPhone came out in the Newton, what was it, 10 years earlier, and it was a complete flop. And then they had to sit on it for 10 years and... Uh, and, and, and it came to life as the iPhone and, and obviously the rest is history, as they say, but there's an, uh, there's an ability to absorb all these new innovations too, which that completely fails to take into account. It's almost like people are sitting around in their homes watching these keynotes and like perform for me. I want something new. What have you done for me lately? Without realizing all these other elements that go into making something successful or not. Do do we? I'm just curious. Do we ever get the claps like when people are listening to the podcast? Like, no, no. Come on, get to the other point. Let's go. I, I like I like that. We need to we need to integrate that as an ongoing sound effect. I've I've got friends who tell me that occasionally they yell at one of us when we're making apparently innate points. I haven't heard about anyone clapping yet, but maybe that'll be a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, I. To to return to the the hardware being there, and this it really struck me, and this is kind of a theme that I wrote about this week when writing about it is, you know, go back to the business model. This has sort of been a core theme for Shachekri for a long time, and so much that flows from that, the things that Apple is good at, and also the things that Apple is bad at, just just comes from this sort of place, and I think is a useful way to think about where Apple should approach sort of problems from the future in the future and what opportunities are going to come and what areas may be 
you know, they should do more to enable, you know, other uh, enable others because they might, it might not fit for what they do. Like to, to your point, you talked about the timing sort of thing. And I thought the, to me, actually, I thought the most impressive part and, and potentially like future exciting part of the keynote was the bit about augmented reality. Mm, that was insane. It, 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 well, the demo was really cool, but but the implication of what Apple introduces, Apple actually didn't introduce a, a an AR app or anything like that, or or any new device. What they released was something called AR Kit, and AR Kit is basically a set of tools and frameworks and and whatnot that developers can use to build AR applications. And the device that's used is is an iPhone. So they, as an example, they did something where you took something like Pokemon Go and using AR kit and the capabilities that it unlocks, you were able to create a much more realistic sort of uh, view instead of just having a Pokemon kind of floating over the outside world, which was what it was in the case of Pokemon Go. In this case, they had one where the Pokemon was firmly planted on like a sidewalk, for example, and you could move mm. the phone around and it would stay it would stay still in a much more realistic sort of way. And now, is that is that changing is that changing the world per se? Well, no, but what it's doing is it's. Apple's uniquely placed to put this sort of capability in the hands of other folks to start figuring figuring this area out. I mean, new new ideas and new things like like augmented reality they don't come out fully formed. You need a place to experiment to start to figure this sort of stuff out. And Apple, by virtue of owning the platform, is uniquely placed to to create the conditions where yeah. this sort of experimentation and whatnot can take place. And and Apple could do more than just the software thing. Like I would bet the either the current the current chip or the I think what is it now? A ten, I think, or the upcoming A eleven chip is is gonna actually have like all the way down to the silicon capabilities that unlock this sort of behavior. And that's that's what Apple does. That that's what app that's Apple at its best. It's selling uh, yeah. devices that are that are integrated from the chip all the way up to the software, and then you know creating not just a, a platform per se, but creating you know frameworks and software in which developers can build something greater above it. And not only is it exciting from it's exciting from multiple perspectives. It's exciting from the developer perspective. It's exciting from the chance to experiment with this new world. And frankly, from Apple's perspective, it's exciting because. It presumes you're going to sell more, you know, expensive Apple hardware, and maybe in the future, you know, glasses or whatever the sort of device might be. I, I mean, you, you nailed it, right? This is this is where they perform at their best. I think there's a really interesting timing question that's brought out by this when you have a platform. Uh, whether Apple should be developing its own applications or whether it shouldn't. And I think back to the watch and the speed with which they opened up developer access to the watch, like build apps on top of it without necessarily having everything figured out, particularly the reason why you'd use the watch. Because if you go even further back, when Jobs introduced the iPhone, it's like, here are the key apps. There's the browser, there's the phone, there's iPod and messages. And like they were the key apps that were, that were touted. Like that was the reason for purchasing it the watch felt like it was lacking it and yet when they introduce ar like this why like they're not producing any apps and it feels like exactly the right move and you start to unpack why that is and it's because there are all these iphones out there and because there are so many iphones out there and people already have a reason they're layering something on top here that's super cool that developers are going to be able to experiment with way better than probably Apple would be because you've got a million flowers blooming on top of this already existing platform and already like seeing what some of the devs were doing in terms of games like in the keynote it was there was a desk in the on the keynote and this this space world unfurled and there was this space battle taking place through the lens of this guy's iPhone on, on the keynote and it was absolutely insane like it this the timing is right the hardware is right this place to all of Apple's strengths and I think they've done a phenomenal job in the way that they've approached it and just opened it up for everybody to use yeah it's interesting to compare it to the watch because you know, you could argue where, where the watches ended up. I think is I think we both agree is a much better place. Like it's very focused mm. on this is for health and fitness, and also you can get you can get notifications and do some mm -hmm. other stuff. But it, it, it's delivered with a very like you know what it's for. If you're buying it, usually buying for a specific reason. And if it ends up benefiting you beyond that use case, that's great. That's all frosting, yep. right? Instead right. of the original purpose was just selling it as this iPhone 2.0. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is the 
you could, if you, I think app, there's no reason Apple couldn't have sold it that way from the beginning. You know, if you think about it, they delivered the motion sensor on the iPhone. The iPhone was already used for like exercise. Like there's that whole market of like armbands, and you'd have, and especially as iPhones are getting bigger, the armbands got more and more absurd. So they're like covering up your entire your entire mm-hmm. top of your arm, <laughs> but. In that case, it was a useful place to start. And if anything, Apple just you know t- failed to take advantage, I think, of the iPhone as a lead-in to the watch. And that, I think that's just been rectified. To this point, ideally, let, let's presume that the long-term – you know, one of the reasons it's exciting is because you can see a future in which Apple can produce a new hardware product that, mm, that benefits yes. you, right? I mean, right. If, you, if you just think of it from a pure hardware perspective, which company is the most capable and likely to be able to produce, you know – Say, I mean, glasses is probably the most obvious sort of manifestation mm-hmm. of AR. And there was actually a rumor from like some alleged insider that, from Foxconn that Apple has, has has been working on these or something like that. Which who knows? Who knows if it's true? But it it it, it's, it makes sense sort of broadly, and it makes sense from a business model perspective. Like Apple would love to sell another piece of hardware that costs a lot of money and you know mm. does something unique. And what this does is it, it starts to sort of set the table for that. Yes. Developers can start to experiment with this, and Apple can sit back and observe. And is the long run of AR your phone? I mean, maybe no. for some applications, you know. But you could see another there being a, another device in the future. But Apple can see like what starts to take off as they ought to have observed the sort of health and fitness benefits or you know things that people were getting from their phones. Said, oh. We could do that way better. We could do a, a watch would be so much better than this big thing on your arm. You know, tracking, you know, reminding you throughout the day, giving you alerts to stand up. That'd be so much better if it was on your wrist than it was in your pocket. All those sorts of things. And again, they they eventually did figure it out. Ideally, this would lead to a similar sort of thing where, unlike we talked this guys with Google and, and Snapchat, you know, Google just throwing these glasses out there without a sort of defined use case and then asking developers to build on it. It, it it didn't work so well, and you know whereas you, you snap, I, you know it's already how well it's worked. But we're talking, and they've made tens of millions, or I, I don't know, of dollars. It's not like it's a, a nothing burger to, like like the Google one was, but there was at least the outline of a use case here. And app, what are you laughing about? A nothing burger. I've never heard that term before. I quite like it. <laughs> it it's a great term. It's very useful. I mean, the other thing is this. I mean, Snapchat's limitation too is the use case that they have is still in. in it can be manifested in Snap, right? And what happens if you don't use Snap, or if you're if you want to yeah. use your stuff in other applications? I mean, you can export it, but it, it's much more. It's nothing like it can be if it's deeply integrated in the platform. Mm. And I bring this up in the context of AR because the Apple wasn't the only company doing a big AR announcement. That was whole Facebook's big thing. Their entire keynote was geared around AR and and the photos and the cameras in their app. And you step back and think about it, Facebook's pitches. We have the channel, we have the distribution, all these people you want to reach. Apple's pitch is we not only can you is Facebook sitting on our phone and you can use it just as easily as you can anything else. You can also use you can also use Snap, you can also use WeChat, you can also use messages, you can also use all sorts any distribution channel you want. Oh, and by the way, because we build the hardware and we build the, the chipset and we build the fundamental frameworks, we can actually offer a much more powerful an in-depth sort of API. And oh, by the way, who do you think is going to be to market first in the future with actual hardware that can you know manifest this in more places? And it just goes to speak for all the talk we had like last week about like WeChat layering above the OS, mm. like there's still a lot of value oh, in owning yeah. owning the OS. Totally. So there are a couple of really good points there. One is like th- this plays to Apple's strengths in terms of hardware and software integration. I, I love the point though around uh, when you're building a when you're building a new platform and you're expecting people to buy hardware, have the use case really tightly defined and and build the hardware around that use case and then expand out. But if people already have the hardware in their pocket, then you can be much more let a million flowers bloom, right? Right, like exactly. Can, exactly. That's a great point. That was the time. The timing was all wrong with the watch, basically. Yeah, that's the distinction between the two elements. Like if if you're asking people to buy new hardware, you better have 
have a super tight use case. But if people already have the hardware or they're already going to buy it, like let developers run wild. And that's what Apple did so well here. It's fantastic. And then just thinking about the different, the Facebook point, the different integrations and which different integration, whether it's hardware and software or software into like network or like Facebook is like, which gives you an edge for different elements. And when it comes to um, pioneering, uh, pioneering something like AR, which is by its very definition, like touching both hardware and software, Apple's got to have the edge. Like that's much more valuable having, at least for now, at least right at the start, having integration into hardware and software and being able to play with those deep APIs versus the network. Now, might that always be the case? Probably not. As this gets figured out, those those API calls are going to get crystallized. There are things people can rely on across platforms and the underlying hardware is going to become less important. But for now, Apple's much better positioned to, to, to be building up a presence in this space. And it's interesting to go back to our initial point about the the sort of context that these these chief executives place their keynotes and their announcements. In this respect, where whereas Apple and Google were very much sort of back to the roots sort of things, and and which I think you know resonates with us for 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 lots of reasons. Facebook was more on the like we're creating a new thing here. We're creating a new story about about what it's for, and and it's funny because. To your point, to like your friend's point, if I can put words in your friend's mouth, I don't know, mm. but I'm going to make him look bad. Like <laughs> that maybe sells better and gets your friend excited. But from mm. an analytical perspective, I find that more of a bearish sign than a bullish sign. Right. They are having, I, I totally agree. They are having to tell this story about how wonderful this is to try and convince people to get on board because they're not at the natural choke point to own what's emerging. They're trying to reach in, reach down into the spot where a different set of integrations is actually well positioned. And the reason that Apple doesn't need to make a big song and dance about it, instead they can just invite uh, Epic or whoever it was up on stage and show this incredible demo is that they can show rather than tell, you know, like we are well positioned and look what we just built and look what we're unleashing for developers. Is. The other the other th- aspect you know that I think to touch on as far as we're as long as we're sort of singing Apple's praises here and I, we'll have some uh, we'll have some non praises I think to get to as well mm. but <laughs> is the is the HomePod the the home mm. so the HomePod is you know it was rumored beforehand as sort of the Siri speaker as the competitor to the to the, to the Amazon Echo and Google Home and. I think that is still largely what it is. But what was fascinating was the way Apple introduced it and went about it. They had, you know, they had these six big announcements. Number six, Tim Cook's like, we've always cared about music. And everybody kind of groans because <laughs> the Apple music has dominated the last few WWDCs for better and mostly mm. worse. Especially especially two years ago when that was the fi- one more thing and it went on for like forty five minutes and was 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 really quite brutal. But anyhow, in this context, the talking about framing it as a music, which is a core to Apple's blah blah blah, and we've all heard it a million times, was that they were this wasn't introduced as a Siri sort of object as all. They didn't even get to Siri until well into the introduction of the device. Rather, it was framed as a speaker, as, as a speaker for your home. Mm. Yes, we're Apple Music and you can just play anything you want. And to the extent Siri was talked about, it was mostly as a, a quote-unquote musicologist. And yes, they got to the Siri stuff later on, and we will talk about Siri in a moment. But I, I thought it was fascinating the way they framed it in that context. It's funny. It reminds me of the... Um feeds and speeds conversation we had i think that was the name of the episode where we started to get into conversations about like what we've learned as individuals and strengths and weaknesses and it it reminded me very much of your advice that i mean in the early part of your career like you want to mitigate some of your weaknesses but as you develop further you really are only going to be successful if you play to your strengths And that's what came to mind when I watched the HomePod part. It's like, okay, they know they're not going to win in terms of AI. The series not going to beat whatever Google is is going to do from an AI perspective. But you can surely position this, contextualize this in a different way. So people are, instead of reaching for like 
an intelligent home assistant, you can position this as like, this is the best friggin' speaker ever. And by the way, you can talk to it as well. Like suddenly it becomes a lot more palatable to spend $350 versus if you were spending that much for a, for an, a home assistant that wasn't as good as under, at understanding what you were saying. Right. So there's the, this is a fascinating product for, for multiple reasons. So first off, I did get a chance to hear it and it's really good. <laughs> like it is mm. it like the sound is super impressive. The way that it sort of, you know, direct sound and from one speaker in compare they had a comparison set up with the Sonos Play 3, which is a $300 speaker and an Amazon Echo, which is you know $150. And you know, you definitely get what you pay for, I guess is is, is the way I would put it. And there's an aspect here where, you know, I saw lots of people talking about, oh, well, Amazon and or Google could just make a better speaker too. I mean, that's, they probably, in theory, they could, but the sort of like the competition could just make a hardware product as good as Apple too and then win on other factors. Like that's been the story for however long and it's funny how it never seems to happen. Like mm. Apple's really freaky good at building hardware. They they just really are. And, uh, and from a... We'll get it again. We'll get to the series stuff in a moment. But one, it it is really good. Two, it costs relatively speaking a lot of money. And three, I kind of like that again from from a sort of analytical perspective because Apple makes products. Apple makes money by selling products that cost a lot and are superior in some dimension, and and then they can make a profit off of that. And in some respects, I almost feel like this in conjunction with sort of the AirPods, which the AirPods are amazing. Do you have AirPods? I don't because I'm a. No, I, it's funny. Just get them. Just, wait, just uh, get them. Like, well, the sound quality though. The sound quality. Like you talk about how the HomePod is so amazing. The AirPods are basically. I mean, I love the Bluetooth. I think they're a phenomenal idea. But they are those bud earphones that come with your iPhone. They just, just happen to be some. wireless. Just get some. All right. It's. Right. I. I. Uh, unfortunately. Uh, Tweeted about how, to some extent, they were transformational, which I which I actually agree. But the result was I had like over six hundred replies about people going like you hemming and hawing about how they're they're quite obviously terrible and they'd never <laughs> tried them. Uh, so I've been using Bluetooth headphones for for ages. Like the, so, the wireless thing's not new to me. The the thing with uh-huh. AirPods is it actually they're always charged. They're always like you don't you never have to entangle them. You can just I literally always carry them in my pocket, which I never did with Bluetooth headphones before. I, I used to always have them in my bag, but now they're always in my pocket. They're always charged. I can just add a like sometimes I'll just be on Twitter and I want to and there's like a 15 second clip of a video. I will pop them out, put them in, and watch the video and take them out and take them out again. Like that's sort of seamless. Like I'm gonna pop it in now and list something. In the past, I would never have taken out headphones. I just would have would have not watched the video. Mm-hmm. Or or got you know say, try to save mm-hmm. it and probably never got back to the place later. They are like they're trans- transformational. You know, with that aside, we're going to get a million emails about AirPods. As I've learned, people like they stir a lot of emotions in people. I'm not sure why. If you think I'm all full of crap, go buy some. Well, well no, you but your point about it reducing friction and the value of reducing friction. Like this is the same debate we had about elements of the watch. Yeah, you could do it on your phone. There are a bunch of things you could do on your phone, but like the friction of pulling out the phone. It's like with Apple Pay, the friction of paying versus pulling out your wallet and pulling out a credit card and swiping it. Like reducing friction is a valuable thing and I get the always I get the benefits. It's just spending like $100 plus on headphones phones that suck in terms of sound quality i just have some uh old school reservations well, about doing sh- that but you order some you have to wait six right. weeks anyway right. so anyhow but <laughs> the point is the point is once you order these once you order once you order these airpods and by the way I, as always i have no financial interest in apple it's no stock or anything so i'm just mm. saying this yeah, as, yeah. As, as an objective observer the what, what i like about it from from uh from analyst perspective is i think a very clear opportunity for growth for Apple is, you know, they've already is increasing the average selling price of, of, of their products, right? And they've done this with the phone. When they went to the larger plus, it was $100 more. They actually raised it by another $20 this past year. And they're selling more pluses than ever. Like their average selling price for iPhones mm. is actually increasing over time, which is kind of incredible when you think about it, right? Mm. It sort of defies yep. all the people who, who were saying why the iPhone would fail a few years ago. It really emphasizes how off base they were. Like, where can you go past that? Well, I would argue you're actually going to get that much better of an experience when you get an iPhone 7 with AirPods. And even if they had a headphone jack, I'll still say this. Now the average, now how much are you making for your customer? You're making like $850 or $900 or, or even more. And now, oh, you should add on, add on a HomePod. You should add on a watch. And just from a like how can Apple 
given the size they are and given the market saturation, given to the extent that they dominate the high end, and and given the extent that that you know sort of up upgrade timing is elongating to a certain elongating 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 uh, elongating. Thank you. A word that a word that I type often and never ever say. Um, you know, this is I think an interesting way that makes sense. For them, from their from a business perspective, it's also something that Apple's uniquely capable of doing. AirPods do work on Android, but the integration with iOS is that much better. And the way you can only use one, or you can just use the other one, and you flip back and forth, and they instantly connect. And same thing with the watch and these other devices. And they're also they're building all integrating all the way down from the chipset up to the device in now across device. It's just, I think a very fruitful place for Apple to continue to expand sort of the business. And I frankly love to see them go farther. You talk about the home and, and the home pod is now in the home. I'd like to see more Apple devices that work together with mm. it because I mean, you think about the, we've praised Alexa and the idea of sort of creating a platform in the home, the problem is the way Alexa is getting around the sort of trouble of getting stuff to work together is they make it very, very basic. Like you have to say like magic words and, and each developer has to set up exactly what you say to do it. And I actually think that that's the right way to do it. I think it's a very smart way to approach the problem. But that means you also think about it in new markets, traditionally the integrated solution works better, particularly early on, because you can make everything work together. And what would it be like if Apple actually built more products that have this level of integration? And so just from an analyst perspective, I I think this is an encouraging sort of trend. I'm thinking forward to the point at which the new iPhone is released and I'm on the Apple website or I'm in an Apple store and there's all this goddamn hardware surrounding me that my ability to resist is going to be pretty low. Whether it's the AirPods or the HomePod or the watch or the new iPad, I think you're spot on like framing it around. You're getting this. It's almost like it's it's getting to the point where to a greater or lesser extent, the iPhone is almost like a subscription product. And then in the process of going in, they just have one more chance. Ah, oh, what about what about these AirPods? You know, these things, these are pretty cool. You've heard Ben just say, shut up and buy them, Mike, when he was on the podcast. That like, was directed at you, you not our audience. Our audience no, I, I, I know, I, I know. No, of course they will. But they heard, they heard you say it to me. And now they're going to have that in the back of their mind and the home pods that and all these things it's like it's a very clever strategy um i i agree so the the challenge of course it, and this is inherent with the home pod of course it, 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 with the home pod is it, it does cost 350 dollars and an amazon echo does mm-hmm. only cost 150 dollars and un, unlike you most people don't really care how stuff sounds yeah and and also, unlike you, uh, or maybe unlike you or unlike you, I, that just sounds like a good thing to say. I was enjoying that. <laughs> to your point, there's probably a reason they didn't emphasize it as a Siri speaker. Because, you know, the when you consider this sort of speed and accuracy and also, you know, degree of integration, it's not really as competitive with the Echo as, you know, perhaps, you know, would be would be ideal, if we can put it that way. Yeah. I think that's fair, but like it's super smart. So you haven't got that. So play up all the other things, play up something that Amazon won't play up. Right. Right. But that's, that's also a problem because, well, or, or, or is, or is it a problem? I mean, what was interesting going into this keynote was a lot of people presumed it was going to be all about Siri, that everything's going to be Siriified and that was going to be the focus. There'd be more, a lot more sort of intense for developers to build on Siri. And actually there was a couple more intense, but it bear, like the, the idea of building apps on top of Siri or, or intense or, you know, letting your app work with Siri was merited, I think maybe like less than 30 seconds like they kind of mentioned it in passing that there's a couple new a couple of new sort of applications like note taking apps or something that can now integrate with Siri but it wasn't like Siri was really conspicuous by its absence in this keynote in many respects this is the flip side right this is like your strengths and your weaknesses like if you if you uh, apple's ability to do this is Apple's ability to pull this off versus like what some of these other companies are doing because it's in their ballpark is limited. It's uh, it's a shame. I definitely think. Mm. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is sort of the sort of existential question of this keynote. The what made this keynote, I think, very satisfying was the degree to which it doubled down on what Apple does best 
which is this sort of mm. integration of business and software, selling things at a profit, you know, that that are differentiated, and all the all the things that follow on from that, and, and many of the highlights mm. really built resulted from that model. The downside of this keynote, as it were, was the degree to which things they aren't good at, particularly services and things like Siri, were de-emphasized or not discussed, or you know maybe the the things that 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 were manifested as as advances were you know not as good as the competition, or probably not as good once they're once they're sort of, sort of held up. And here's the question: like, is that <laughs> is it a good is that a good or a bad thing you know is this a situation where doubling down on what you do best to the point to the advice that yeah i've given to people in like their careers and the way they think about their mm. lives doubling out your best is that a good thing or is it worrisome that there's not enough investment not enough progress being made in what might be an, an alternative future i think it's a really good question and i think i think it uh I think it divides up. On one hand, I would hate to see what you just described be used as an excuse. But on the other hand, when it comes to stuff like to machine learning and cloud services, I I think you're right. I think double down where you're best. Like recognize where this isn't something that you're you're going to compete as well on. And unless it becomes an existential crisis for you, like it's something that's going to threaten the company, like what they felt with maps on the iPhone back when Google, they ended up at war over this stuff. Like acknowledge that that's not your strength and focus on where you are strong because there's still plenty, plenty to do. Yeah, but here, here's here's the challenge. You said until it becomes an issue, the nature yeah. of this yeah. sort of stuff is you're investing now for a payoff that's you know is is in the long term. You don't get to suddenly magically decide we're going to have a competitive voice assistant. No, you you build up a competitive voice assistant over many years. And Siri has now been out for six years. I think watch the iOS yeah. four. Touche, touche. You're you're absolutely right. I, I mean. You're absolutely right. And it, I mean, it begs the interesting question. What do you do? Do you like let go of it? Because the rate at which everybody else is increasing far exceeds what Apple is. And if this continues, it's almost going to become a detractor from buying the product. Is it better to go and partner with somebody else? I don't, I don't know what the answer is, but you, you're, you're absolutely right on pushing back. No, well, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, that seems. You know, Apple should partner with Google or partner with Amazon. I mean, that that's a pretty radical suggestion. I mean, I, I don't say that to, to mock you. Like, it is a pretty radical suggestion. You know, what I maybe I don't know. It's just it's fascinating to. It's just it was so that was the thing that was all this keynote that was so sort of jarring was it was exciting and a relief to have to see Apple do what they do best and to double down on that. And I think you I, talking to a lot of sort of people in the Apple universe uh, after the keynote, they were so excited and they were very pleased with everything that was announced. And, you know, and because this was Apple being Apple, it was, it was Apple at its best. And then you back up and you think about, well, they didn't really announce anything about Siri. They didn't really announce, you know, much about their their cloud services and, and changes that they're making. And it's almost like that was why it was such an exciting keynote <laughs> in some respects. Mm, but right. are they also sort of setting a problem for them going forward? And honestly, I, I kind of want to agree with you. I kind of want to say, like, hallelujah, do what you do best, partner with others to figure out the other stuff. But it's a hard thing to to come to because what if you're wrong? If you're wrong, then you're totally wrong, and and, and everything's screwed. Yeah. But this is this is the this is what I meant by an existential question. Is it actually for all the reasons that we've talked about, and, and that I wrote that piece last year, Apple's organizational crossroads, and in this i this idea that everything that makes Apple so great. All the things that make them deliver the best hardware products, the, the things that make them deliver something like the the uh, the HomePod or the AirPods or or the iPhone itself, the sort of thinking and developmental process and internal culture and all that sort of stuff is so tuned to creating brilliant integrated hardware products that it makes them uniquely unsuited to create effective. Mm 
industry-leading sort of services because the mindset and developmental process and culture are just totally different. And it's the same reason why I mocked earlier, oh, Amazon, Google could just make something as good as Apple. They never do. Why? Because those are services companies that are predicated on, on an iterative, responsive, flexible approach to product development, which is exactly what you don't want for ineffective sort of hardware device. And the failure of Amazon and Google traditionally in hardware is the mirror image of Apple's traditional struggles in services. It's really the same sort of thing. And if you actually believe that, if I actually believe this stuff that I've been writing, then your sort of takeaway that Apple should almost just disengage and keep doing what they do best is arguably the right thing, but man, that that like it's easy. To, it's, it's easy to say. It's it's a lot harder thing to actually sort of you know. It seems safer to cover all your bases, as it were. Oh, it's not just seems safer. You are putting yourself in a position of absolute vulnerability, as as Google demonstrated to Apple back with early versions of the iPhone. Google decided it was going to build a phone, and then it was going to start to privilege the versions of Google apps that shipped on Android, like it's going to be a better version of Maps, it's going to be a better version of this, a better version of that on the Android device than it is on the Apple device. And Apple then ends up back in the position that we talked about it never wanting to be in, which is beholden to apps sitting on top of their hardware and their software that are more important to the end user than the hardware or the software. This is what happened with Microsoft and and Jobs never wanting to have to invite Bill Gates back up on stage. And that's the lesson that's been learned. Now, if you could figure out a way of developing a relationship or setting up a competitive dynamic such that you weren't entirely reliant on one party. And if one party tried to screw you, there's another option. Great. It lets you do it. But it's still like you are relying on other company services for your product, the core part of your product to be valuable. And that's a it's a dangerous place to be, right? Right. But the alternative is that to the extent you privilege your own services, and if those services are inferior to the, to the competition, mm-hmm. you're sort of you're sort of endangering the whole enterprise. I mean, to the extent that Siri yeah. is the default on iPhones or it's the default on a HomePod, if the HomePod could say, just as, in theory, just theoretically, mm-hmm. if the, if the yeah. HomePod you could select, it uses Alexa or it uses Google or it uses right. Siri, right? Mm-hmm. One, <laughs> that would be bad for Siri. But on the flip side, the HomePod would be an incredible device. I would love to have a HomePod with sort of Alexa mm. instead of instead of Siri. And uh, you know, would it be more expensive than the Echo? Well, yes, it would, but it would also come with all these benefits. Like it, it works better, it has this amazing sound, but the, you know, to your point, it's also sort of a dangerous position to be, but both my point is that both positions are dangerous. There there's a there's an instinct that oh, to always cover your rear end is is the smart thing to do, but always covering your rear end also compromises you. Like when your hands are over your rear yeah. end, you, they can't be elsewhere. <laughs> No, I don't know if that made sense. <laughs> no, that's a beautiful analogy. I got exactly what you meant. Yeah, I mean, right. Like, and you think about Amazon and their ruthless negotiating tactics. They got into a fight with a publisher and they deprioritized the 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 books of the publisher in search results. Now, you could see a world in which Amazon, if you are dependent on one of these big companies, and uh, invariably, inevitably, they're going to end up in competition about something else and like this gets pulled in and your product stops working because you are dependent on someone else for it. Like, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's almost like the executives are probably more scared of looking like they're being held over a barrel in a position of vulnerability or in a position of weakness than... Uh, we ship this and it's not like the in, the AI is not quite as good as what the competition has. But you know what? Like with, I mean, they can get around it because they created a great speaker, didn't they? Yeah, well, this is why, I mean, the middle road is no good. Like Apple needs to, this is the sort of why ultimately I would put it as a disappointment. I, I think you're right. It's not really acceptable to for Apple to put itself in a position where it's dependent on Amazon and Google in particular, just given the the reality of those two companies, place the market and their previous experience with 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 Google in particular. Mm. So that mm-hmm. I think you're right, but that means that there should have been more serious. There should have been more emphasis on that. There should have been more articulation of how they're investing. Yeah. And you know, there was an article yesterday in the Wall Street Journal that was you know it was basically 
former Siri employees and former Apple employees, which I think is always something to be careful of because they have an axe to grind. But there's a point in there about, for example, Apple discards voice queries after six months just just by just by default. And they're saying that's problematic because you can't like as you're developing the algorithms and developing you you you're you're missing old data too. And you can't even like mm. compare like let's compare how the new algorithm does on these former search queries mm. compared to the previous algorithm mm-hmm. and see you know what improvements made, what we didn't, because they're gone. You can't even compare what you have today to what you had a year ago because everything's gone that you used a year ago. And one of the and Amazon or Google would never do no, that. No, they keep they it would forever. Store it. <laughs> yeah, it, of course they and, would. And so, so Apple's like saying they do it for privacy, but it's like the 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 challenge for privacy. And someone uh, his name Zach Sichi on Twitter made this really good, really great point that if we get to a, a state where let's say you and I all we do is buy Alexa or by Amazon Echoes because we think Alexa is so much better. Has Apple actually protected our, our privacy at all? Oh, yeah. That is a really good point. No, because all our privacy is now with Amazon, right? They, they've outsourced the privacy to Amazon. It, it, it's actually a dereliction of duty when it comes to privacy because they're not even trying. And they can pat themselves mm. on the back and say, look at how we take care of your privacy. We throw away all your voice snippets after six months. And it's like... Yeah, we don't have any voice tips because I don't even bother using Siri anymore. Yeah, that's a really good point. It is. Yeah, I I think there's a broader point here, which is, uh, they are they are. <laughs> where's where's my old phrase? They're one foot either side of a barbed wire fence. Exactly, exactly. And this is and this is the big problem. I can entertain the argument that Apple should just abandon the whole thing and outsource it from a sort mm. of narrow analytical like play to your strength sense that makes sense to your point strategically it doesn't make sense because you're outsourcing a key a key part of 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 the future platform to your to your biggest competitors so but that means you have to go in the other direction you have to work on being better and i think privacy is an apple selling point this is one of their big advantages of their business model right google and facebook have such an advantage in so many areas by being advertising supported because they can waltz into new areas and offer stuff for free like look at android right mm-hmm. and like google could just utterly destroy Microsoft in mobile because they have advertising they can offer it some offer for free it's a devastating advantage guess what Apple can also has advantages by virtue of its business model they can play the Google and Facebook are track like they had this the thing in Safari oh, it's going to try to stop ads that follow you on the internet because you have so-and-so in your shopping cart right customers hate that stuff they, they, they it and you know it's like it's creepy. Guess what? Apple can do that. They can pat themselves on the back and look great and preen and say we care about your privacy. And you know what? They care about your privacy because it doesn't matter for their business model. And I'm not saying I don't say that to criticize. I say that to praise. And they should leverage that. I I wrote an article a long, long time ago talking about strategy credits. Right? Everyone talks about strategy mm. taxes where you make suboptimal decisions because of some other part of your company. It, like it conflicts with your business model. This is a strategy credit where you get to do something that is consumer friendly and gets you lots of marketing dollars. And oh, by the way, you can also you know say is an important principle to you. Because it also happens to align with your business model. You know what I mean? And privacy for Apple is a thing. What I think they ought – the way to take privacy though is not to be this absolutist. We're not going to store data. We're not going to collect data. We're not going to sync. Like they talk about, oh, now you can sync like your photo stuff. No, all they're syncing is photos you've tagged. And by the way, syncing tagging photos should be a thing. The actual – where the the phone is doing its own like local – analysis of your photos and like facial recognition all that is not syncing you're still doing on a per device basis so you have all your devices every time you buy a new one it's running and burning battery for a few days to replicate Mm. stuff that was already done elsewhere and needless to say they're not uploading them to a central server where it can be done at scale and improved you know much more quickly like google photos is like there's a reason why google's photos you know is considered far superior to this sort of thing. It's almost becoming a crutch for yes. we're not good at services and now we're going to use this almost as an excuse for our product to be inferior. And it's it's 
uh, you, they, they might be able to get away with it for a while, but it's going to catch up with them. Well, the I mean, end. here's the thing: like, is it is it better for your like for your privacy that your photos are not stored on Apple servers, or if they're sto- to the extent they're stored on Apple servers, they're they're encrypted? Yes, it is. The the problem is that Apple's not competing in a vacuum here. Like if Apple were the only provider that's like, oh, for your privacy, you keep it off. The, the reality is, is is if you actually want the sort of like machine learning is is like made for like photo analysis, right? Like image recognition, that sort of stuff. And right. the lead that Google has is only going to get greater and greater. And and so to the extent and you're going to run into a similar thing with like Siri versus versus Amazon where it's great that Apple wants to protect my voice snippets but it doesn't really help help me if I'm actually just using Alexa all the time you're going to get in a similar situation with photos you're going to get in a similar situation with with other things yeah. going forward and the way I think Apple ought to sell privacy is who do you trust with your data more do you trust right. Apple or do you trust Google or do you trust Facebook or whatever it might be and and then Yes. Give themselves the permission to use your data to make their services better. Like, I'm sorry, it's a, it, there's a sort of zero something here. You cannot argue with a straight face that Apple can have competitive services when they're flushing data, all the data they could theoretically have on the toilet. You can't. You can praise them for it, but you have to praise it. You can't. There's so many Apple fans want to be like, oh, Apple's going to do local machine learning on their devices and they're going to. And no, okay. There's our, there's time for a clap. It's not going to be as good. It's just not. <laughs> I I I could I have a suggestion for uh for how they could improve the privacy of the iPhone, and that is to take out the uh, the the broadband chip, take out the Wi-Fi access, just have it as a local device that can't talk to anything. That would improve the privacy, but no one would buy the product. Right. I mean, the cell the cellular companies are following us around wherever we go. Right. Our credit. Right. Like, our credit cards are tra- are tracking and selling our data to a far greater extent. And yeah, the truth is right. that Facebook and Google are the least of your problems when it comes to privacy. I wrote about this a couple of years ago when Tim Cook gave this speech in Washington D.C. Man, did it up? Did it irritate me? He's like, "Oh, we're not like Google selling your data. Google's not selling your data. Your data is the single most valuable asset that Google has. They will never, ever in a million years sell your data. Not and not only that, they will." are heavily incentivized to protect your data and never to access it. Now, does Google show ads to you based on the data they have? Yes, they do. And is that creepy? It kind of is. And can Apple make a compelling business case to buy their products and use their service of Google because of that point? They sure can, but they can't do it if their stuff's so inferior, relatively speaking. Like, they can maintain and be a legitimate offer of privacy. We, Apple, will never use your data to sell advertising to you. We will never have profiles of you that anyone can sign up and get. Now, because apparently they're willing to accuse Google of selling your data, even though that's not true, fine, whatever. If you want to be slightly dishonest and say, we'll never sell your data, by all means, go ahead. But that doesn't mean you. it has to extend to, we're going to like cut off our foot to... to well, what's the phrase? Cut off your nose to spite your face? Man, I butchered that right. one. Butcher. <laughs> I, look... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Privacy is a potential real powerful selling point for Apple. Yeah. It, but like the you don't have to like you can still sell privacy and legitimately sell privacy in a like feel good about yourself from a moral perspective by basically saying we're going to take care of your data and we're only going to use it to make the products and services you use better. And do you trust us Apple on that point? And I think everyone would. And they would trust right. Apple because of the goodwill they built up over time. And I would trust them because screw goodwill. I look at the business model. And they have no reason to do anything against my data. You know, and, and I do think it would be so effective. And the danger they run is by having this sort of absolutist approach that one, to the point earlier, the effective privacy of their customers is compromised because they just end up using alternative services. And two, they are putting themselves in a dangerous position in the long run where it's not just that where their products are actually worse because some of the services are worse. I think both points are incredibly well made. I, I uh, haven't been able to dispute a single thing you've said over the last few minutes. Like you're you're spot on. Anyhow, the the broader the broader takeaway is I do I, I'm overall positive on this. I, in part because you it's always great to see companies doing what doing what they do best. Uh, but yeah, it's easy to fall into the trap of. Just because you're doing to do best, everything's hunky dory. Like what? 
every doing what you do best is great until what you do best there's no longer a market for it or the market has has saturated and i think on balance that's apple's okay in that regard but yeah to the to the services point to the development point i i think there is there was stuff missing and it was notable by its absence let's let's put it that way yeah, that wallpapering over the cracks. But uh, again, like again, different versions of Ford Progress. There's like the grinding out, and there's the revolutionary stuff. And the fact that they're grinding out the things that they should be is definitely an encouraging sign. I think Google, the Google presentation, is an interesting parallel here, right? Google, it was it was great to see because they were creating really interesting technologies that were really useful. But at, behind everything, it's like, oh, wait, how are you actually going to get this in front of customers? What's your, you have a go-to-market problem, right? Particularly for the mm. the most valuable customers that are on iOS that we've talked about. And it, it's funny to see, you know, that, that's always that's always sort of the the balance to strike when you do what you do best is you, those, those, the, the challenges still exist. They're not going anywhere. Yeah, and it is a fun thought experiment to think about how 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 much fun it would be if those companies could partner in a way where they could trust each other not to later on come onto their 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 respective turfs like think about what it would be like with an iPhone with the Google Voice Assistant built into it like that would be pretty it, cool. It would right? it would, but I think it's one of those things where imagining everything working together and be all hunky-dory is yeah. it's easy to imagine the upside. And it's it, it's more difficult to imagine. I mean, tech is already arguably suffering from not sufficient competition <laughs> as it is. Yes. And if you have something like that where it's so dominant and you also you're kind of losing the push to like we need Google and Apple to compete and we need Facebook to compete yep. with, with the images stuff and we need Amazon to be coming in from a different direction. Ultimately, even though in the short one you can see how how great it'd be if they were all just one big conglomeration and all work together, mm. that would be a bad thing, I think, in the long run. You're yes, the value of competition. There's no doubt about that. You're spot on. Our thanks to MailChimp for sponsoring this week's episode, as they always do. And I will talk to you next week. Sounds good, mate. Have a good one. All right. Bye-bye.